0: Amen. And that song, um, I think what it emphasizes is God's role in our life. And it's this idea of saying like, hey, you know, I could, I, I can clean my hands, right? I I can try to wash my hands, but ultimately if God doesn't do it, right? If God doesn't do it, I'm left out alone. And so I love that song that says, God, give us clean hands. And from the beginning of Tri-Cities Church, um, I used to started using this analogy that um, just came to my mind as we were sitting there singing, and it's this analogy of a painting. If you imagine, if anybody's a painter, have you seen a painter's canvas? And these painters have these canvases, and they start with a blank canvas, and they they have this vision of what they want to see on that canvas, and they begin taking their brushes and taking some paint and making a stroke here, making a stroke there. And when I when I think about painting, I don't know that guy's name that used to be on TV. He's he's not alive any longer, but that guy he used to have kind of the the fro. He used to look like kind of a fro looking thing. Uh, curly hair, um, and he would paint these pictures and he would kind of talk gently to the, to the painting as he would paint. Some of y'all know who I'm talking about. I don't know that guy's name. Um, but, but I would always watch those, those television programs as he would paint and I would think, I would think when he began, I was like, where is he going with this? And then there would be something beautiful on the canvas at the end. When we started Tri Cities Church, I used started using that analogy that Tri Cities Church was like a blank canvas, right? And then there's there's um, there's a lot of different canvases out there. There's churches where God has already painted the canvas, but when we began something new here in the Tri Cities area, it was like a blank canvas, and God was putting brush strokes brush strokes on it, um, and He was painting something something beautiful, something new something that we didn't know what it would look like in the end. We didn't know where we'd be or what, it w- what, what, what God had in mind and still don't know fully the mind of God. And that's part of the mystery and what makes God God himself. And so we're excited here at Tri-Cities Church um, because as we go along, it feels as though God reveals part of his plan to us, and even progressively. And so at the very beginning, God doesn't say, hey, this is what I want to do with Tri-Cities Church and through you. But rather, as we become a people who love him and listen for his voice, who read the scriptures and study to understand God and pray, that God more and more seems to be revealing his plan to us for. Uh, his church. And so one of our things always at Tri-City's Church is to begin, uh, just begin talking. We, we never want anybody to feel left out in the dark or uh, not knowing. So you, you may have heard this week we had a big, we have a big announcement. Well, um, we've been asking you to pray about the building. Uh, you know, Point University had a campus that was right next door um, and, uh, and and they owned this building and, and they sold the campus uh, and then they began conversations with us about the pot- potential of buying this building. Um, well, we've reached an agreement with Point University to buy this building. Now, uh, yeah, and that's a good thing. We're excited about that. Um, because we're a new church, we're only two and a half years old, um, when they had the building appraised, it actually appraised for $600,000. Um, and when, when we heard that number, we began thinking to ourselves, there's, there's just not a way that we would be able to jump into a commitment of that size um, and then we heard the news that they had an offer on the property for uh, for uh, five hundred thousand. That somebody was interested in buying it for that amount. And we said we still don't feel like that's where God would want us to be uh, as a church. Um, and, and so we we offered them four hundred thousand, thinking you know they could probably get six. There's somebody that's already has five, right? And and there's no way. But because they believed in what God is doing here at Tri Cities Church and the vision here. Um, They have chosen to accept our offer. And so um, the big news is that we will be buying a church, this church building. We're excited about what God is going to do here and what he is uh, planting here. The church has always had a place where it can gather, and that's part of what God is is doing here. Right.
1: And and, and, uh, just to repeat what Wesley said, I mean, think about it. We will just be three years old. Yeah. This is an unusual step for a new church. I have to tell you that, in case you don't know, uh, for us to be taking such a, a, a big and bold step. But we, with all of our hearts, believe that it is a door that God has opened for us to walk through. And we're going to keep walking through the doors until He closes, right? Yes. And so uh, so today begins uh, what is going to be a process, a journey for all of us together. And may I say this, too? Um, it's not just... You who sit in this room, and it's not just those who attend church here regularly, but we're going to be seeking even outside sources as well, just like we did when we started, because we believe that the church is not just Tricity's church and this place that gathers here, but the church is universal, and there are people of God that He will raise up uh, that that believe in the mission and want to help fund this as well. So, uh, in case you were choking a little bit, <laughs> four hundred thousand dollars. I want to encourage you, yes. Uh, it is us, but it's us and it's us and. But as Wesley said, you know, the church has always gathered. The church has always, uh, from the very beginning, from its from its birth on the day of Pentecost back in thirty three A D, uh, the church sought out places to, to meet, and they would meet in synagogues if there was a place, and then they, they would meet in homes if, if there wasn't a synagogue, and sometimes they would even have to go underground and meet in caves. But there was always a meeting place, a gathering place. So this is what this is about. It's not that we are going to become building uh, focused or that we're going to become building centric. Um, in fact, it is very important for us to, to realize that this is a tool. This is a tool. The, the 2619 Pinhill Hill Road is yeah. a tool that God is providing for us to use to minister to the community. We are focused outside of these walls. We are reaching outside of these walls. But what a great tool.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and so um, as, as Jamie was talking about, just different churches that have supported us, and we've talked about that, and it's been a while since we talked about that, but I mean, there's probably at least 10 different churches that have supported us from the beginning financially to help tri Cities Church to get started. Especially in the early days. And that some of that support is even beginning to to kind of wane off. It's it's some some of it's non existent because um because you uh Tri Cities Church have stepped up and began uh giving and supporting your church and the vision that God has here for the church. And so we celebrate that that Tri-Cities Church is on the path, um that that God has placed us on, that his people are responding uh through faith and that God is building his church here. One of our things from the very beginning, and when we saw the generosity of other churches as they gave it to tri Church to help us get started, and we knew from the very beginning that we wanted to be a church that did that very same thing that we didn't want to be a church that just existed and received from outsiders, but we wanted to be able to turn this thing around and one day help other churches get started uh, in in the Atlanta area and even maybe further than that. And so we want to be a church-planting church. And so we're a church that's been planted, but what we realize is that the world needs more communities of faith uh, and people who are who are coming and gathering and coming to know Jesus Christ better. And So part of our vision is to be a church planting church, and so this is just one more step. As we talk about next steps uh, on in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about next steps. This is just one more step in Tri Cities Church becoming established, so that we can help other churches get started in other places, because um, that is that is a, a deep part of our vision. So there's a, a, a three th- three ways at least three ways uh, that you can be involved as we move forward. Um, one is I want you to be in prayer about how much, um, how much God would have you give to help Tri-Cities Church buy this building. We're going to have to pay a down payment. Uh, we're going to have to spend some money on, um, on updating the building. There's some things that when you buy a building and it transfers ownership, there's some things have to be brought up to code. Um, some things that were just grandfathered in from years back and there's there's some 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 work we'll have to do here that we'll have to do here so begin thinking and praying about on on towards the end of the year um, what God would have you to give you'll hear a lot more about this as time uh, proceeds about uh, about the details and as it unfolds and what it looks like Um, but then also begin praying about um, the process of getting this building permitted, that we begin working with the city. Pray that we'll have favor uh, with the cities to begin working with them and, uh, and that the process will go smoothly with uh, contractors and people that come in to help us uh, get the building uh, permanent. And then the third thing I want you to pray about is how uh, you can be involved in helping Tri-Cities Church grow numerically. Uh, how you can be involved in helping Tri-Cities Church grow numerically. At the beginning of this year, um, we said that we, we prayed and we talked about this more than uh, more than seems uh uh appropriate almost we spent uh at one time we we sat down and we said uh we began asking the deep theological question does god want you to continue praying about something over and 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 over over again because it seemed like we were praying over and over again god what's next for tri Cities church and and the, the word that he kept laying on our hearts was growth Right. Then it began with exponential, but it was this idea of growth and not just numerical growth, uh, but spiritual growth, um, financial growth that we become a church that was self-supporting and wasn't needing outside support um, and then numerical growth. And we've seen God act faithfully in those areas. Um, But we we started a church um, not just so that we would have a cool community uh, of people here. Uh, By the way, you are a cool community of people. Uh, but we started a church because we we believed very deeply in our heart that more people needed to know about Jesus Christ, his saving power and the destiny that he has set for those who believe him and trust in his name. We believe very firmly that more people need to know that and need to be growing in him. And so part of that includes growing numerically, beginning inviting people and telling people about Jesus and sharing the faith that's transformed your life with others so that they may become what the Bible calls inheritors of the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. So again, praying about who you can invite and how you can help tri Cities Church grow numerically. I think we'll just close that with a time of prayer and then we'll get into our message for this morning. God, we give you thanks this morning that you give us this opportunity to stand here and share with your church the good news of what you're doing. God, we're excited because... There are scriptures that say no man knows the mind of God. No mind can even imagine, no eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has planned. But God, we stand here today trusting you and praying that you will work in us, that you'll work through us, and that you'll use us to build your church. God, we believe that you're doing that. And we're trusting you through that process. It's in your Son, Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Um, also, um, just let me say one more thing on the note about the building. Uh, feel free to, to, to uh, begin, you know, enter conversation with me and Jamie about this process as we begin uh going through it if you have questions if you're some something that you're just wondering feel free to ask those questions we're not that church where uh you cannot ask questions we don't want to be that church we want to be open and transparent and we want to share with you as much as we know um and so feel free to ask ask questions all right, so this morning we're continuing our Seven Churches series. We we are uh, wrapping up our Seven Churches uh, series. We've been in this series in the book of Revelation, where we've been looking at the seven churches in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. Now, I said early on in this series, um, and, and we see especially this week, um, that Jesus has some harsh things to say to the church, right? Um, and, and I had this line in a sermon, I don't even know if I ever said it earlier, uh, maybe five sermons ago, um, but the firmness of of jesus words to these churches i think shows us more than anything the fullness of his love for for the church right the firmness of his words show the fullness of his love the metaphor that i keep thinking about is that of a parent right a parent that just um, um lets their kid do whatever but a, a parent who's who's firm with that kid it, it, you know it's like my, my parents just say we do this because we love you right they're in the middle of spanking you you know belt out in the med- middle of the air you can you can like Hear maybe I'm revealing too much <laughs> if you don't know my mother's here. Um, you can hear the belt making wind through the air as it's coming down on the hind side, and they're saying, "I'm doing this because i because I love you, right." Uh, and it's like what? What? But but I think Jesus is saying to the church um the, the 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 firmness of my words to you, right? The 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 firmness of the way that I'm dealing with the church is an expression of um the fullness of my of my love. And you will come to know, I can't help but to imagine that he's saying that to the church or, or at least thinking that that's what he has in mind is that you're going to come to know the fullness of my love. It may not feel like it now, right? You may not be able to see it now, but in that day, it will be revealed to you that I love you fully. And that's why I was, I was firm with you. Now in our society, more and more, this is becoming common that we become a church that is literally drowning in, in grace right? It's this idea that the grace of God is so big, right? That God will forgive me, right? That God will accept me, right? That no matter what I do, no matter who I am, no matter what my past looks like, no matter what mistakes I'm in right now, no matter what I'm caught up in now, as long as I walk away from that, right? Say that I repent, ask God for forgiveness, God's going to forgive me, right? And that's the expression of God's grace, right? That never runs out, right? That continues to forgive again and again, And we begin to understand that logically with our logical minds, not not spiritual minds, but logical minds. We begin to understand that God's grace is so overwhelming that we can drown in it. But the purpose of grace wasn't that we'd be drowning in it saying, God's going to forgive me, right? God's going to overlook that, right? God's going to still love me, right? And be assured of that. But it's that we can realize our desperate need for God's grace and reach out to him as our savior. But see, what's happening in the church over and over again, more and more as our society progresses, is that we are satisfied, drowning in grace, because it never runs out. Because it's always there. Because we can always count on God to be there. And this is what we see happening in the early church as well. This is nothing new. The church has been here for years and it has been in the same, same way. We see it more and more in our society and as we go through different seasons in our culture and different societies, uh, as we witness the church throughout church history, um, we we see um, that the church is, is, um, the church is, is, is prone to take advantage of the grace of God, right? Um, We're just prone to do that. And so I think more than anything, these letters to the seven churches are challenging us to take a step back and begin recognizing ways that we're taking advantage of the grace of God and get a glimpse of the bigger picture. Now in the church in Laodicea, is the scripture that we're at this week in, in Revelation chapter 3, that's the church that we're looking at. Now in the church at Laodicea, there's many points that tie over with our, our church, our world, our culture today. And so Laodicea, let's just talk a little bit about Laodicea because I believe to understand this letter, we got to understand the context that this church was, was birthed in. And so Laodicea was a very wealthy city. Um, there was like almost like the Wall Street of the ancient day. It was a banking center. If you had a large check that you needed to cash, you needed to go to Laodicea. Um, people came from all over the world because of the amount of money that was in that city. Now, in, in uh AD 17, an earthquake hit Laodicea. And the whole area there, and, and because that was a part of the Roman Empire, um, the Roman forces stepped in and rebuilt Laodicea and the other cities in that area. But that area was prone to earthquakes. And in 8060, another earthquake hit Laodicea and totally devastated the city, ruined everything. But these were people that had become so wealthy... Right and had so much money and become so prideful and confident in the strength of their money and their resources that when the Roman government stepped in to help them rebuild, they turned the help down because they wanted the world to know that they were able to do it by the strength of their own back, by the money in their own wallet, by their own strength that was given to them by the money that they had. In fact, there was a historian in that day named uh, Tac. Tacitus, I think is how you pronounce it. He says this. He says, Laodicea rose from the ruins by the strength of her own resources with no help from us. That Laodicea was so wealthy that even though the city was destroyed, they were able to rebuild that city by their own strength. Now, one of the ways they became wealthy, and there were a number of different industries there, but the one they were known for more than anything was the clothing industry. They had these sheep that were in Laodicea, um, these black sheep, literally. Uh, and so they had these sheep that had this black wool that was kind of, it was very fine and almost had a, a glossiness to it. And it was prized by all the people in the ancient world because it, the sheep only really lived in this one location. And so the people of Laodicea made rugs out of this wool and they made tunics out of this wool and they exported the. Ex- boarded them all over the world. They sent them out to different nations and different countries and people desired them they were able to weave them so they didn't even have any seams in them and so they became very uh, famous in the clothing industry and, you know you, you see in Laodicea this ideal of, um, um, of fashion and that fashion industry which is a big money industry today was nothing new right everybody wanted one of these shiny black tunics right from Laodicea that was like the going thing Of the day, and it ensured Laodicea a a constant stream of, of income, a constant stream of wealth. Now, the third thing, so the first thing was they were wealthy. The second thing, they got wealthy off the clothing industry. A third thing that um, kind of uh, almost led to Laodicea's pride, al- almost a cockiness that they had, was that they, were, um, they had a huge medical school there um, where they learned uh, kind of cutting-edge treatment of, of different ailments. One was like an ear ailment that they were able to treat people who were beginning to lose their hearing. But the thing that they were most well-known for was this revolutionary... Uh, it was this uh, uh it was a tablet actually that you would crush into a powder and then you would spread it on your eyes and it would help people who had failing vision. Right? And so for people from all over the world would travel to Laodicea um because this, this was the way things went when your vision started to fail your vision just failed. i mean that was in that day that was a part of life right um uh, it, there weren't glasses or things like that um so that that was just life right vision beginning to fail but they had developed this powder um that was known all over the world to help people um help people to to uh to continue to be able to see help their failing vision now the thing that happened in laodicea now And this is the reason I tell you this. The thing that happened in Laodicea is that they as a people began to put their hope, their trust in these things, right? They began to put their hope and their trust in money, right? in material possessions and in their medical advancements, right? So they had this money, they had material possessions, they had medical advancements, and they began to put their hope and trust in that. Because ultimately what we see throughout history is that when a society exists with the things that enhance the welfare of that society, that the people will inevitably begin um, uh, uh, trusting in God less right, and begin looking to their own society and their own environment and the surrounding things that they have more. And what Jesus is calling the church in Laodicea out on is this very thing. Look with me at Revelation chapter chapter 3. I'm going to begin uh, reading in verse 14. Listen to what it says. It says, to the church, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, and this is John who's writing these letters that are dictated to him by Jesus Christ. It says, write this, These are the words of the Amen. That sounds odd, you know, the the words of the Amen. Really, they're saying the words of the true God. Amen means true, so they're saying the words of the true God. So these are the words of the the true God, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. He says, I know your deeds. The same way it begins with every other letter, right? I know your deeds. I see you, right? These, These letters are reminding us that God is a God that sees. He says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot, I wish that you were one or the other. So, um, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth, right? And he says, you say I am rich, right? You say I'm rich, just specifically Laodicea, but I, w- I would say us today as well, right? In our society that's so prone to trusting in our resources and our, and even our wealth, right? He says, you say you are rich. I've acquired wealth. And I do not need a thing, right? This was the word in Laodicea. We don't need a thing. We got destroyed. I mean, that was like bragging rights. We got destroyed by an earthquake. Everybody else needed Roman assistance, but we built it back by our own wealth, by our own resources, by the things we had. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked, right? Listen to the words that Jesus chose, and he chose these words carefully that you are blind. Right, That you are a city that's known for your cutting-edge eye treatment, but you are blind, he says. You're not seeing what's really worth seeing, right? You're seeing the things around you, you're seeing the trees, the colors, you're able to build, you're able to see your children and do life, but you're missing the bigger picture, right? He says, even though you see better than those around you because of the medicine that you've perfected, right, that you are still blind spiritually, right? Another thing he says, you're naked, right? Even though you have clothes that people are coming from all over the world to get, you don't realize that you're exposed uh, spiritually that people are being able to see that that although you say you're the church, you're not living like it. And so he's calling this church out on some really hard truths. And this church was going to have a couple of options. They could either ignore Jesus And sit back and do nothing where they could accept what he said and begin to grow and change. The thing I love about this, these passages is that Jesus never says, um, because you've done this, I'm rejecting you forever. Right? Instead, almost like a parent, right, he's pointing to them, pointing out to them um, the error of their ways, right, the, the wrong direction that their lives are headed, and he's giving them space and room to begin growing in faith and in Him. And that's an example of the grace of God. But the whole time he's challenging them, don't drown in grace, right? Accept this grace that I've given you and use it as an opportunity to grow in me, to grow up in me. And so he's challenging the church here um, uh, with these words that, hey, you have these things that you've put your hope and your trust and, and you rely in, but I need you to begin relying in me, look a little bit further in verse eighteen. He says, "I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear, so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes, so that you can see." And so he's saying, ultimately, you come to me; I will help you see what's worth seeing come to me and i will close your nakedness with my righteousness and you will no longer be seen for that come to me and i will make you rich beyond the riches of this this world you know last week i was talking about how in our society it's so easy for us to become so short-sighted right we don't see beyond today and that's one of the reasons i feel like that we over and over again begin to um uh, um a discount and, and reduce God to something uh, less than, and reduce what God is doing to something less than what it actually is, right? And so what we what we end up doing is falling into the same fault of Laodicea, right? And and what they did was um, they began to put their hope and trust in what they could see, what could be tested, what was um, scientific, right? what was tangible. And the scriptures are always pointing us to the difficulty of putting our hope and trust in a God, in a God who does not have legs, right? A God who's not walking around with us in a way that he's immediately visible, right? And a God who's not, where we can just reach out and, and touch him, but whose power and whose strength and whose sovereignty is clear in this world to those who trust and believe in him. And so this church in Laodicea was beginning to put their hope in the things of this world. And what we see in our society today is the same thing is beginning to happen. In fact, we see over and over again that in different societies, that as we study these different societies and as sociologists begin to look into different societies, what they see is that when the, um, when the quality of life or the welfare of that society begins to elevate, atheism um, begins to elevate as well. Right, That as a society begins to do better and develop and have these things that, that contribute to the welfare of society, that people cease trusting in God. And that's one of the most problematic stances that we can take um, because when we do that, we reduce God to a God who's solely concerned about our right here, right now and the conditions that we're living in. And God says in the Scriptures over and over again and in different places, He says in this world you're going to have trouble. He never tells us that this life is going to be easy. He says, yeah, this is going to be a hard life here and now. the scripture that we keep coming back to is that the sufferings of this present time aren't worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed. And so the scriptures are always challenging us to see beyond today, beyond right now, beyond our lack, beyond what's uh, short, what we don't have, beyond our need to see what God is doing in the place that God has prepared for us. And so we see this church, in, in, in Laodicea was only able to see what was right in front of them. And, and, and I can't help but to think that this was recorded for us so that we could see beyond today, right? That we could see the bigger picture of what God is doing and what God wants to do in our community and the bigger picture of the destiny that God has prepared for us. That God wants us to take a journey with Him through this life. And that the destiny is more than we could ever imagine. Now this is the most difficult thing I feel like in our society to do. um, uh, Because we're we're just surrounded by so many things that become distractions from God. In fact, in our society, church has become more like, um, more like a, 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 an event, more like something for recreation than something about recreation, about God making something new, right? And so the, the, actually gathering as a church is just another form of Sunday morning recreation. It's just another thing that, that we do, that we weigh with other things, and we say, um, um, should I go to church this morning or not, right? Um, and and. Um, and, and I, can't, I, I can't help but to think that Jesus is saying that shouldn't even be a question, right? I'm the one who gives you life. I am the one who has this place prepared for you. I am the one whom you were created for. And we begin looking at this life in Christ and being a part of his church as though it's just another event on our schedule. And God is saying, no, this is the community through which you're, you're, you are equipped and prepared for what you, were, what you were born for. God is saying, I created you for a purpose. And it's only in the church that you are, you are equipped for that purpose that I've created you for. And so he's challenging us over and over again to stop looking at being a part of the church and following Jesus Christ as just another label that we wear, just something that we say, but something that becomes part of who we are. This is verse in Peter that I want you to, to hear. It's in First Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Listen to what it, what it says, because I believe this scripture, more than um, any other at least that I could find, um, uh, shows us the way uh, to putting our hope and trust in God so that our life leads, um, so that our life leads the destination, and the holiness that God has prepared for us. Listen to what it says in First Peter chapter one verse thirteen. It says, "Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at His coming." Right. So uh, it says, "Set your minds." Um, It says, Therefore, with your minds that are alert and fully sober. I love the fact that he uses this word, this word sober. He's not talking about free from alcohol. He's not talking about stop drinking so that your mind may be sober. Rather, he's saying, clear your mind. Right? He's he's saying, clear your mind. He's actually... uh, uh, the way I put it earlier this week is this, this idea of a quiet time. Some of you grew up in churches where this quiet time was taught, that you need to have a, a quiet time to begin your day, a time that you kind of set alone with God and you prayed and cleared your mind. Um, and really here, he's teaching us something like that, right? That, that there's this need in our world, right, where there's so many different things that are really warring for our attention, right? And now in this world where there's so many things that are promising us hope of welfare, right? Hope of a better life, a better quality of life, that we need to step back from those things and clear our mind so that we can see the one who really gives us hope, is what this scripture is saying. So it says, Therefore, with your minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. And... And as I read that scripture, this is what I'm hearing it. I'm hearing it as a challenge for me uh, to begin taking time out, to begin scheduling time into my day and into my week for me to pause and to begin to consider what are the things that I've put my hope upon? What is my hope resting upon? Because it's easy for us in this world, in this society, to begin resting our hope upon things without even recognizing that our hope is resting there instead of on Jesus Christ himself. And so we place our hope in things like our jobs or our, our homes or our friends and relationships. And then when those things are lost, we begin to feel hopeless. And Jesus Christ is saying to us that I'm the one in whom you should have placed your hope all along so that, and, and, um, and I said this earlier in this series, so that, that even when the things of this world are lost, that this this, um, this almost eerie calmness that characterizes the Christian life. And that people will look at you and say, after losing that, I would have been devastated. After going through that, I would have been broken and unable to go on any longer. After experiencing that, I don't know how a person can endure, right? But when we put our hope and trust in God, we can experience that, we can go through that, we can lose that and almost have this eerie calmness, this lack of anxiety um, because our hope ultimately is resting in God himself. And we can be fully assured that God is not going to fail us and that as long as there is a God, that we are okay and that there's nothing that can ruin the destiny that God has prepared for us. And so we go through life without our hope resting on these things of this world, without our hope resting in the amount of money that we have or our, how big our bank account is, without our hope resting in our material possessions and the things that we have and are able to collect, without our hope resting in medicine and what it's able to do for us. Because here's the thing that ultimately, all those things fail. Ultimately, the money runs out. It dries up. Ultimately, the clothes deteriorate. The things that we have become outdated. They break down. They last no longer. Ultimately, medicine can only take us so far. It can only get us life so long, but ultimately, even it fails. The one thing in this world that never fails is God Himself. And so the Scriptures are saying, put your hope, your trust fully in God because He's the only one that's trustworthy. He's the only one that can carry the weight of your trust, the weight of your hope. You place it upon anything else and it'll crush it. It'll crush it. It'll give out under the weight of it. And you will be left feeling hopeless, feeling a void, that only God can fill. And so I think this letter to the church of Laodicea is saying to the church today, the church that is distracted is saying to the church today, set your focus on me. Set your eyes on me. Set your hope on me because I will not fail you. Because I will not let you down. I love this quote by William Barclay. I had to print it off, and I'm going to read it. It's kind of long. Um, But listen to this quote. Listen to what he says. He says, The man who receives a new house and the new health must also be changed. The aim of Christianity is not so much to change conditions as it is to change men. For if men and women, let me put that, this was written a long time ago. For if men and women are changed, the conditions will inevitably be changed. But if men and women are not changed, the conditions will certainly and inevitably relapse into the old ways or become progressively worse. The church of Laodicea stands as a warning to those who remember intensely that man and woman has a body and forget completely that man has a soul. Right? If we only care for the needs of our body and forget that we have a soul, we begin Devaluing the role of God in our lives. He says it stands as a warning to those who put their trust in material things and leave God out. You see, this letter to the church in Laodicea, this letter to the church in East Point, in College Park, in Hapeville, this letter to the church today is challenging us to put our hope in god there's a scripture that says what profited a man or a woman to gain the world but lose his soul god is the very keeper of our souls therefore he's the one in whom we put our trust fully completely wholly. let's pray God, we give you thanks this morning that you've given us this opportunity to open the scriptures and to study them. And God, we live in this world where so often we need convincing. We know that money is good because we can go and spend it and we can go and buy stuff. God, we know that material possessions are good because we can put them on and we can clothe our body and they can keep us warm and keep us from public exposure and embarrassment we know that medicine is good because we can take it and it makes our body feel better and it restores our health but god often we forget that you are good and we forget the scripture that says taste and see that the lord is good And God, I just pray that you will help us to begin uh, 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 not not throwing away our money or throwing away our material possessions or rejecting medicine, but elevating you above those things. To say that to have all those things and not to have you ultimately is to have nothing. But to have you And not to have any of those things is to have everything. It's this simple but not logical equation that God plus nothing equals everything. Because ultimately, you are everything we need, God. And I pray that this letter to the seven churches will be a reminder of that for us that we'll be reminded that you are the one we need and so that in our time of distress our time of trouble our time of hardship we will reach out to you first and trust in you more than anything it's in your son jesus christ's name we pray amen